gosh, where do we start? So um, most of you will have had some idea that I've been going and coming from Ukraine a fair bit this past year. It's been an incredible privilege, I have to say. And I do appreciate the freedom that the church gives me to do these things because it's important because it keeps me alive. Number one, selfishly. Number two, I believe that in the kind of um, extreme situations uh, where we see God move, it then brings something back into this context where our lives are a bit more predictable, perhaps, although not very often, and we face all kinds of other challenges. They're very real. It kind of, when we've seen God moving in impossible situations, it gives us faith for where we are. And I think that's important as well. And it's important that we see a bigger picture rather than just focus on what's going on in Weymouth because the world is big and it's incredibly interconnected and we're part of a huge global family which is called the Church of Jesus. And it's an amazing, it's just incredible. And the more we see what God is doing around the world, the more we realize, wow, this is really exciting to be part of this thing. Just hearing Paul's stories, I mean, the freedom they have to preach in schools is just unbelievable, isn't it? We can hardly imagine it. But how exciting that God would send Paul and Sam from Weymouth, um, who we loved. Uh, I married them. I remember when when we were conducting their marriage service, I remember a moment in the service where the Holy Spirit just came into the thing, and I'm like, wow. And I'm thinking, I just have to go on my knees right now because the presence of God is here. And I thought, I don't know what I'm going to, how that's going to go over with Paul's family and, and Sam's family. And <laughs> there I am on my knees before God. And, and, and it was just such a moment, wasn't it, the Lord? And I think they, yeah, I can, I know they've been through all kinds of challenges. And, and I think it's naive to assume that just because we become a Christian, we get a free pass and it gets us through all the troubles and challenges. But what we do have is we go into them with Jesus holding our hands. He doesn't say, right, I'm one of the things he doesn't say, right, here you go. You're on your own. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you even to the end of the earth. And uh, there's been some very unknown moments in my life. And just one that really stands uh, just in this past few months, one that stands out probably graphically at the moment is when I went with that young lad I don't know if you've seen the video I went with this young lad he's 21 his dad's a pastor who lives in the occupied territory of Ukraine so he can't see his dad or his mum or his siblings so he's 21 and instead of being kind of at home moping and feeling sorry for himself almost every day he drives an ex-Securicor van armoured vehicle into the area that's right in the news right now, Bakhmud and that territory, to rescue people who want to be evacuated. And so I was able to ride in with him, which was an amazing privilege. And I'm looking at this young lad, I'm thinking, wow, you're younger than some of my kids, and yet you are a true hero. And yet you just think you're doing the obvious thing. And I... So we're driving through these checkpoints and you, the, the day was so dull and dreary and it was like a November day in England. It wasn't especially cold, but all the roads as you got towards the front line were full of, covered in mud and the only colour you could see was grey. 
and all the trees were grey and the road was grey and the sky was grey and this mud's coming up off the road and it's just forming great big sort of brown piles on the windscreen as we're driving in and the, you can see the traffic is getting less. We've quite a few military vehicles and, and I'm thinking, I, he knows what we're going into roughly. I have no idea. I don't even know what it's going to look like when we get there. And and I thought that that feeling of I don't know what's happening right now. I'm I'm so far out of Kansas, you know Toto, um, Wizard of Oz. <laughs> you had to be there, and um, and I'm thinking, Jesus, yeah, I know you're with me. I don't know whether I'm going into literally burning buildings, shrapnel flying in all directions because I've seen the pastor's car. And it's got shrapnel holes that go through one side and out the other and bullet holes in the back. And I'm thinking, is that what we're going into today? I don't know. I'm here. We're just going to do the job. And, uh, and there's that incredible sense of the Lord just carrying us through and having peace, which is amazing. So Jesus said, my peace I give to you. And it's not the kind of peace that the world gives. And I believe the peace of God is a powerful, active force. <clears throat> it's not just the absence of strife and difficulty, but it's an active kind of like force field that we bring with us. And I think I've said here before, I believe when Jesus stood up in the boat and calmed the storm, it was because the peace inside of Jesus is bigger than the storm out there. Shall I say that all over again? So when Jesus stands up in front of the boat and says, peace be still and calms the storm, it's, he can do that because the peace inside of him is bigger than the storm out there. And so if I've got Jesus in my boat, he's full of that same peace. And he says, I'm going to give that to you. So when I'm Going into that situation, it doesn't mean I'm bulletproof, but it does mean that I'm kept in his peace. And it's an incredible, beautiful thing. Um, so one of the things that will obviously come into our minds, and I think it comes into my mind quite a bit, is that the problems of the world are so big that we can't possibly fix them. And even in Weymouth, when we start to kind of get to know some of the people that we work with pastorally, we realize, man, this is big. Even some of the people in this room who are not like problem people but have challenges going on in their lives. When I, and I just look around, I do a little scan, I think, yeah, these are big problems. And actually for me personally or somebody else personally to come and fix all of those problems would be a lot of work if we could actually do it, if we could actually pull it off. And so then to go into another country which is in the middle of a war and actually have the kind of naivety or arrogance to think that we can somehow make a difference, it seems ludicrous, doesn't it? Because like there's America and Britain and Europe and all these big actors, international actors kind of at work doing what they can do. But they can't fix the problem. They can send weaponry, which has been a big help. And, uh, but <clears throat> diplomats and 
clever people are all giving advice and trying to fix the problem. So what can little Mr. Paul from England, from Weymouth do, is a big question, isn't it? And so either we're just kind of deceiving ourselves or God has got a special way of making things happen that challenge the normal way things happen. So, right, just hold that thought. So either we're deceiving ourselves or God has got a special way of leveraging our involvement that makes a significant difference and makes it worthwhile. So here's a story everybody knows. The multitude of people are gathered around Jesus on the hillside. They've been following him for several days. They've got no food. And Jesus is looking at his imaginary watch and thinking, when I'm in the 20th century, they'll have watches. And I know it's getting late. And these people are hungry. So he says to his disciples, these people are hungry. You should send, you need to, you know, or at least the disciples said to Jesus, you need to send them away because it's getting late and they need food. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. Classic, Jesus. And they're looking at each other thinking, how are we going to do it? We haven't got enough money. So they're looking at their resources naturally. And they're saying, we haven't got enough money. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all been in that situation where we have got a situation and we haven't got enough money to fix it. So Jesus says, what do you have? And someone says, oh, well, there's this little packed lunch, five loaves, two fish. But what are these among so many? So the disciples are not stupid. They know mathematics and they realize that it doesn't work. They've got 5,000 men and the women and children as well. And so they're thinking, man, this is, this is crazy. And Jesus says, give it to me. This is the force multiplier. Jesus is the force multiplier. He says, give it to me. What does Jesus do? He takes the loaves and the fish and he blesses it and what does he do first? Breaks it. So when I was five years old, I gave my life to Jesus. I said, Jesus, come and live in my heart. When I was 18 years old, I kind of made that a decision as an adult. And I said, I still want that, Jesus. And what I want you to do with my life is to take it, bless it, break it and make it do miracles, make it count. So when I go into the situation where, uh, where the need is so beyond me, I just have got the same simple prayer. When we went to Northern Ireland, which is a whole other story, it was exactly the same. There were about 20 of us, and we went in and we said, God, we're going to fast and pray that you will bring an end to this conflict. And he did. And there are people over there today who will tell you that us going and fasting and praying was part of the thing that broke that stronghold of violence year after year after year in the same place. What happened? We were I, the, At the time, God spoke to me through the story of David. It's often those simple ch Sunday school stories that are the ones that he uses in the moment. And what did David's brother say when David showed up at the field of battle? 
He said, you're just nosy. Yeah, what are you doing here? You're just nosy. You're just a boy. So he took away all of David's kind of dignity in that statement, didn't he? And he reduced him to a nosy Parker boy who couldn't resist getting into the situation where all the big boys were. So, and David, in the end, he puts his faith on the line. He says, well, why are you letting this giant, this uncircumcised Philistine, let's call him what he really is. He's a heathen, a pagan who's insulting our God. Why are you allowing him to do that? And then we know the story. He goes down to the water and he picks up five stones, five small stones, and then he puts them in the sling. And God is the force multiplier. God takes that stone and aims it right at the head of the giant and down he goes. And we know the story. So God so told the same thing to me because the enemy, the, uh, my enemy was telling me the same thing. You're just a nosy parker. You just want to get. And so, of course, Ukraine is similar, isn't it? You're just a nosy parker. Just because it's been in the news doesn't mean it needs you there, Paul. And so... Anyway, by God's amazing kindness, we've been able to put these big tents up, which are now feeding the multitude, literally. And God is the force multiplier. We turn up at a certain time, didn't we? Just responding, really, not knowing what we were going into. We didn't. When we crossed that border, we didn't know what we were going to go into. Whether it was all going to be things exploding, did we? No. I mean. Now it seems relatively safe because we look back with the benefit of hindsight, but we didn't know. And anyway, so here's a, here's a, a scripture. Because bear in mind everything I've said so far, because it will hopefully all come together <laughs> and make sense at the end. Right, Isaiah chapter 61. If you don't know me that well, you may not know this is an important scripture to me. And it's talking in one sense about Jesus, in the greater sense about Jesus, but it's also talking about Jesus' servants and the ones that Jesus has called to follow him, which is you and me. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So God has put his Spirit on me, like oil. Does anyone see The Crown, the Netflix series, The Crown? It's good. The, the bit I've seen was good so far. And they anoint the queen to be the, the monarch. It's a very moving thing if you understand anointing because she has a special dress made so that the oil can run down her back. But she's there and the Archbishop of Canterbury, I think it is, pours this oil which has been consecrated and everything else, and it goes on her. And she's being, in that ceremony, she's being set apart for a job that she believes is holy. She believes she's called by God to do it. And the archbishop believes that, hopefully. And there she is in that moment, and the anointing is going on her. And, and Jesus is saying, I'm the same. In fact, I'm the one they're copying. Right, so Jesus is saying, so this is talking here about Jesus, and it's saying, and you and me, is saying, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me, he's made me special, he's set me apart, and 
put something on me to identify me as different, and it's here it goes to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me, Paul White, he sent Jesus, but he's also sent me and you to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. How many who mourn is that? All. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Right, so Jesus is specially equipped. He's specially chosen. He's specially marked by God by not physical oil, but the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Same for you and me. Right, and he's saying here that he's anointed in a special way to comfort all who mourn. I've been challenged by that. When I was writing my book, I wrote a little piece about that, and I said that when Isaac saw his wife for the first time, and he then married her, they fell in love and they married. The story is very romantic, and I love it. But it says that he was comforted after the death of his mother. So he married Rebecca. Rachel? Rachel. Getting muddled. I think it was Rachel. And it says he was comforted after the death of his mother. So he, his heart had been broken by the death of his mum. But now he's got this gorgeous young wife and things are looking a lot better. So he's never going to get his mum back. She's gone. That chapter of his life is finished. He has to let it go. Otherwise, he'll be like Queen Victoria and stay in mourning for the rest of his life. But the Bible says that when he married Rachel, he was, which one was it? Rebecca. Gosh. <laughs> anyway, one of those lovely ladies. <laughs> he was comforted after the death of his mother. What had happened? He had had to let go of something, but he could let go of that because something new and fresh and lovely had come into his life. Something beautiful had now come into his life which had replaced the sadness and sorrow and his heart is awakened again by this gorgeous young lady. Right, we can't provide that for everyone who's grieving, neither would it be appropriate. But let's just have a quick look. So the word there for comfort, if you, this is just technical. It might help somebody. It's just technical. The Old Testament was translated into Greek from the Hebrew by a bunch of 70 scholars, and it's called the Septuagint. And that manuscript is still available to look at, and it's in Greek. Well, the interesting thing about that is it's the same language that the New Testament was written in. So the word there for comfort is the same word we have for comforter, who is the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said when he was promising the Holy Spirit, he says, I will give you a comforter. And the word there literally is parakletos, which means somebody 
who's called alongside you to help you. Have you ever been carrying something that's too heavy and there's somebody nearby and you shout, can you give me a hand? And suddenly they come alongside you and they help you. And instead of dropping it and breaking it or hurting your back, it's easier because they've become a parakletos to you. They've become that helper who's you've called them alongside. And Jesus says, I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to call someone alongside to help you. And he's called the Holy Spirit. But he's a helper. He's a comforter. And whenever we read the word comfort in the New Testament, it probably is a version of that word parakletos. So, right, bear that in mind. And Jesus, uh, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. So just bear with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all... can barely hear you. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So God is the God of all comfort. He's the God of all come and help me. So when I'm in a situation, he's the God of I'll come and help you. He's the God of here's the comforter, the Holy Spirit called alongside you to help you. Here's the God. He's the God who hasn't left us to do it on our own, but he's come alongside us in because the, the Holy Spirit isn't just somebody. He's God himself. So what I was saying earlier about when we're going down that road to Bakhmud and it's all grey and we've no idea what's ahead of us, we don't know what's ahead of us, but we do know who's beside us. Should we say that together? Because I think that's a good one. We don't know what's ahead of us, but we do know who's beside us. Right, so bear in mind the enormity of the task so we're in a church and it's all we're come to the end of this last trip and it's Sunday evening and Mark's taken me to his church before I go catch my flight the next day. And it's a gypsy church and he's very proud of it and he should be, it's lovely. And they worship God and I think, oh wow, it's so good when we worship God wherever we are, it's just awesome. Like Dottie was saying, there's something about being together. And then Mark introduces me at the end to this family, this man and lady who have been refugee, made refugees twice by the war. And so they, they lived in um, uh, one of the cities that's now Russian-occupied, but they've moved once already, and then they had to move again because of the occupation. And they ended up right in the west of Ukraine. And he's taken a very humble job of a shoe repairer. And so as they're, as they're talking, I'm trying to get some idea of what the life is like for them. They've got three lovely teenage kids. And I'm thinking, wow, you've been, you've had to move twice and now you're just sort of cobbling an income together. Sorry, had to do that. Um, and uh, tell, I'm trying to understand what it's like and I realize it's painful for them to keep going over this stuff and talk to people and I said look I realize that I cannot fix your problems 
but I do know the Holy Spirit. And what I know about the Holy Spirit, I didn't say this, but what I know about the Holy Spirit is he's a comforter. So I said, I'm going to pray for you if you'll let me, and we'll invite him to come into your situation of your life and bring hope and comfort. So we pray, and it's a good moment. I can tell the Holy Spirit's around. I can sense his presence. They're a bit teary, and they say, oh, thank you very much. But as I'm praying, I'm very aware that in my pocket there's a wad of notes of Ukrainian currency. Now, it's not a king's ransom. It's whatever there is left after the trip. But I know that it means more to them than it does to me, if you know what I mean. It's more valuable to them. So, And plus, you can't spend it in England. So I just put my hand in my pocket and pull it all out, and there's a few receipts and stuff in there. And I just say, look, this is... I can't fix everything, but you can have... have please have this. And they're like, no, no, no. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And then their tears and a bit of giggling, and thank you very much. And I think, well... It's, it might pay for a shop, a weekly shop or something. It's not going to fix everything. And then Mark is asked to take them home and drop them off. So as we're driving to their house and they get out, um, just before they get out, Mark puts his hand in his bag where he's got a big wedge of money, of Ukrainian money, and he says, here, take this. And they're like, no, no, no. And Mark's like, yes, yes, yes. And then they're, they're laughing now. They're not just teary. They're laughing and they're giggling like a bunch of kids. And um, out they get. And obviously, first thing they're going to do when they get in is count it, isn't it? So um, I'm, Mark says, as we drive off, he said, I'd like to be a fly on the wall in their house this evening. He said, between us, we've given them about three months' wages, which is really exciting, isn't it? So there, what the Bible says that laughter is good medicine. Part of the healing of sorrow is joy. Part of the medicine for a broken heart is laughter. So... Just, just come with me on this little journey, because I know it's not fixed. I know that hasn't fixed everything, but it's part of the solution. Those people will always remember that. Those crazy two English guys who gave us money, they didn't have to do that. They didn't even have to be here. They don't have to be in Ukraine. They're only here because of us. And God has come and he's not just drawn alongside them in some mystical way when I prayed but actually the people Mark and Paul who he's called to be alongside them at the moment he's called us to be paracletes have actually done something practical to help and it's changed our lead up to Christmas from being one of Everything is tight. We're really poor to be in actually. Do you know what? We've got a little bit of plenty for a few weeks. So exciting, isn't it? And so I'm trying to understand this process of how we can possibly comfort all who mourn. And I think personally it is a combination of us being able to pray and welcome the Holy Spirit into that situation. But then like Paul was saying, being so ready to respond in actual action. So it may be that we hear something 
difficult about that someone's in a difficult situation and so maybe we send them a text and say, I'm praying for you. But as we're sending the text, God says, don't just send them a text. Get yourself around there. Sacrifice some time and drink some tea and sit with those people and just see what happens next. Because sometimes just the fact that we're called alongside to literally be physically present means that some miracle can happen that couldn't if we're back at home watching telly. Yeah? So what can what are these among so many? I give my life to Jesus. He blesses it with his Holy Spirit. And then he breaks me and gives me to feed the multitude. What is the breaking bit? It's the bit where I stop saying it's all about me. And I say it's all about you, Jesus. Cool? Should we stand? And then I, I have to leave and it's nothing personal, okay? About you, that is. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the force multiplier. We thank you that as we give our limited resources to you, you do the miracle. And we trust you, Lord, for this year that you're going to do that not just once, not just twice, but again and again and again. Through us as a church, through us as individuals, through us as families as well. Our children will learn these skills. Lord, Thank you so much. Let your anointing be on each one of us today and throughout this year. In your glorious name. Amen. Dottie. Thanks, Paul. Um, teas and coffees in a few minutes. Just let us move a few stuff around. Um, Forty is back sometime this week. He's had a, some time with his mum and family 